0: All right, welcome to the jig is up. My name's Darcy, and joining me as always is Jason. How's it going, buddy?
1: Good. The snow is melting, but the leaves are turning yellow. How are things down in Calgary? Uh
0: about the same. Uh, we don't have—I don't think we have any snow anywhere now, but uh, definitely the leaves are falling. And they've changed, and they're—they're they're falling, and it is a sad, sad day.
1: It is. But hey, it's harvesting season, so that's not all bad.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Are you going to get out this year and uh, get some food?
1: I'm a little bit behind. Um, Rifle season is not open in my area. I missed bows hunting just because I got so many home renovations going on and trying to clean up before winter. But I'm hoping to get out before, you know, as soon as rifle season opens and take the kitties out and uh, do some tromping in the woods. Right on.
0: That's always a good time, right?
1: Hey, nothing better. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so we got uh we got quite a bit to cover, well I guess a fair bit to cover today. Um you know, we're back on the um David Chartrand is in the news again and he uh you know as an a as a guy who's gotten the answer to his prayers in the form of Justin Trudeau. Um they were he was very happy to welcome uh, Carolyn Bennett to their annual general meeting there for the Metis Manitoba Metis Federation. And the big announcement was that uh, the government's going to put $1.7 billion over 10 years uh, for the for distinctions-based early learning and child care initiatives. But this isn't to support Métis Nation only, though. This is for Inuit, First Nations, and Métis children and families. Um, the way that he was going on about it, this is like the biggest win for Métis people in the world. Is it, though? Is it really?
1: Well, I think that's the real challenge is what what is a win at this point? Um, From his standpoint, granted, I mean, let's face facts, if you got five more dollars from the government tomorrow than you had today, that can't be bad.
0: Especially for these kinds of things, you know, early early learning and, and childcare. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: You know, so even if you take that money and you divide it by three and then you divide it over 10 years and then you try to figure out how many kids that's actually going to service, we're still not talking huge financial dollars, um, but it's more than we got now. And definitely that is something to be happy about. Again, I mean, like we've always talked about, um, because we're not privy to the the actual layout, how entrenched is that funding? Is this going to be something that a uh, successive government is going to be able to, you know, cut as part of a, a budget in the future?
0: Absolutely. And I do find it uh, interesting. And maybe I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I don't know, but uh, I do find it interesting that this, all these big announcements that we're going to talk about today, are coming out. We're about what, a, maybe a year away from an election. Um, yeah. So sure suddenly, lots of mon- lots of financial promises.
1: Well, and it's the same old story. Um, you know, like we talked about before, is the, there's lots of promises that have been made um, since the Trudeau government has got in. Uh, lots of big dollars have been promised to both uh, First Nations and, and people. And how much have we actually seen that has materialized?
0: exactly and I mean and this is another one of these over 10 years things so really it's 170 million per year when does it actually start like you said when does that money actually start flowing um and how is it split yeah, that's up? Right. And,
1: like well and, and even if you said okay uh, I can't see it being split perfectly three ways because the metis people are, are among the smallest group uh, when compared to the first nations community yeah um you know so you're really talking about you know, maybe $50 million a year uh, over the next 10 years on this portfolio. That would be if we got, the Métis people uh, got an equal share.
0: That's right. Now, and, and, and now again there, though, if you take that, okay, so let's say, let's say uh, the Métis Nation gets $50 million, So how do you, then do that is that split up between the six organizations that make up the cartel that we... Is it or is it or is this just for Manitoba metis Federation I I think it's for all of the nations so then you got to take yeah. whatever they get split it again by six and and there you go see so you're right I mean any money any more money is better absolutely and uh, I think this is great but I it's one of those deals I when the check is in the bank and it's cashed then we can celebrate how good of a deal it is I think
1: well, and I, I do share some of the enthusiasm. I don't think it's been, I think it's been a very long time since the Métis people have had this kind of commitment yeah, from for sure. any federal from any federal government. And so, it's no small wonder we have Métis leadership, uh, you know, kind of uh, you know cock crowing, rooster calling, kaye kind of deal, because it really is the best they've ever seen.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: Um, but I, I really am with you on that. We've seen lots of money promised since this government's come in, and very little of it has actually materialized into, you know, checks in the bank.
0: Exactly. Um, and then one of the other ones that they were really going on about was the $154 million that Manitoba Métis Federation is getting, and... That was part of the land deal that um, they took to court and they eventually won from 1870 where Métis were promised or the descendants the children of Métis were promised a certain amount of land and the, obviously the government did not live up to that. Um, so the government lost in court which was good uh, and this $154 million I think is part of that payout um, which again is, is a great thing uh, but I do have a lot of questions on this. I, I guess... One of the things um, is they're leaving forty million of that will be set aside to negotiate themselves away from being a nonprofit to a self-governing indigenous nation. Um, so that leaves hundred and fourteen million, roughly, uh, available for for Métis people in Manitoba. Uh, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on that, Jay?
1: Well, again, I have no idea what that actually means. How you move from a nonprofit to a government? and we talked about this last time, uh, without land. And and land, I guess, is probably going to be the last thing that gets doled out uh, out of this deal. Money is obviously the first one. Again, out of that big hundred and millions and change, there's not a time frame uh, that I've seen or that was disclosed. Like, when is that money actually going to hit the MMF's bank account? True. Or is that over 10 years? Who knows? Well, uh, if that's the first installment... You know, uh, how long is that going to take to get uh, over what yeah. time frame? And if that's just the beginning of this, uh, then really, uh, when would it end?
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Know, if this is the first payment, when, when's the last one? You know, if this is if we're working out a mortgage deal, you know, if the MMF's working out a mortgage deal with Canada, uh, when is the term over? Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and so that, I, I, that's interesting and then I, I and then simply i don't know how i don't know what 40 million dollars to negotiate a real true government would mean you know we've talked about that before yeah you know well and so, you had
0: you had brought up uh before the show we were talking and you had brought up a few things like some of the ideas that they had and i i'm assuming it's with this 154 million where they were going to build seniors homes and stuff like that like Yeah, so if you watch
1: the video, uh, I think it was on APTN, they they patted themselves on the back again for their prescription plan for seniors, which you and I both know that any company or organization can easily do. And uh, we wonder why it took them so long or why the M&A or any of these other organizations, I mean, it's clearly a slam dunk Any organization with a few people can get Blue Cross going. Um, So I I don't see the big deal there. But uh, one of the things I did see was they... MMF is promising to give uh, all first-time homeowner owner, families, uh, a down payment for their house. Nice. So I don't, I don't know how many, what that would actually equal to. I don't know how many uh, young families there are in uh, Manitoba, but yeah. I mean, hey, if that actually materialized, that would definitely be helpful. Uh, the other thing he said is they were going to provide 100 seniors' homes with attached greenhouses. Wow. So that's that's that, I mean a hundred new homes obviously would uh, equal some serious cash. Uh, it takes a lot to build <laughs> yeah. a home these days.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: So there there's some pretty big money there. But again, uh, just like the government giving the money, the MMF didn't commit any real timeline on that uh, project.
0: Yeah, and then you said uh, they were looking at if uh, like a twenty thousand dollar lump sum payment to World War II veterans or something.
1: Yeah, so one of the big the big sticking points that uh, Char Rand made in his video was how the federal government had failed to recognize uh, Métis World War II vets, but since the MMF was getting the money, they themselves were going to match the payment First Nations, and Inuit had got, uh, uh, in world, as World War II vets, at about uh, $20,000 per person, which is, I think, hey, that's great. I'm not sure when. Hopefully these guys will get that money. Uh, before they're dead. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I'm not sure, again, there wasn't a specific timeline on when that would pay out because I'm sure it would be, you know, indicative of when the government paid them.
0: Well, and that's the problem with a lot of this is there's a lot of moving parts. Like uh, the government makes a promise, so then these guys make a bunch of big promises. But then we don't know when the government's actually going to roll those checks off the press. We don't know when they're going to actually get the money. We don't know how long that's going to take. So then their promises can't materialize. So it's it's like this. Uh, it's just a lot of a lot of stuff in the air, waiting to find out uh, when the money's coming, where's how much is coming. I have a. Susp- I can't believe, and I don't. I, I simply don't believe the government's just going to sign a hundred and fifty-four million dollar check like next week. Um, I suspect this will be over five years or over eight years or something. It's There's, there's got to be a caveat to that because there's no way they're just going to write a check that big, uh, as far as well, I think anyway.
1: Well, you and I both know it doesn't – you really only have to look at the federal budget and i'm no math whiz in any stretch of the word but the reality is the federal government doesn't have 450 million dollars to allocate to any one portfolio within the budgetary year yeah so this is a a multi-budget deal you know and there's lots of promises and and what i really felt after watching the video is there's a lot of passion coming out of the mmf there's a lot of um, self-grandizing pats on the back some of it's earned they have been negotiating uh, you know as one lobby group to a federal government and have now promised significant amounts of money so there is a real reason to be happy if this was my organization and i had been 20 years in on this and finally was seeing you know multi-deals signed with the government for billions of dollars regardless over how long it was you know i could get pretty teary and uh pretty happy about what was going to happen.
0: Absolutely, you know? yeah.
1: Um, and, and so there's a lot to be happy about, but I'm a skeptic. Uh, and, and let's face facts, I've been around you know, for 40-some-odd years watching governments of all sorts come and go, and promises aren't worth a lot.
0: Well, that's just it. And, and if you really watch the budgets, and I think this is where uh, a lot of people, they, they mis, uh, mislead a lot of Canadians in general um, when they roll out these budgets because they'll say, like, Oh, we're gonna put a billion dollars over five years into this department but what they don't tell you is the funding doesn't actually even start for three more years so it's really an eight-year plan um and it, you know and that's where I get really suspicious with a lot of this because that was one of the things that Harper Harper loved to do that where he would promise a lot of money and then it would be well but in that's in five years we're gonna start that plan. So in, you won't see a dime until for five years, and then it'll be over a 10-year period. And uh, good old um, Jesus Trudeau, I mean, Justin Trudeau is doing the same thing, where he's, you know, we promised $2.9 billion, but that's in a couple of years, and then it's over 10 years. <laughs> um, so I just, I, I'm like you, I'm very skeptical, and I think... If you really watch the budget, like you said, there's there's no way they have all this cash just laying around to, to start handing out. So it's going to be very measured as to how much goes out and how it in, ends up in their hands. And I I suspect you probably would not see more than $10, $10 million per year coming out of these payments. That's my suspicion.
1: Well, and the thing is that's still a lot of money. I think the reality is For if... Sure. I mean, let, let I mean let's be optimistic. If promises were were ironclad, if the government was forced to for the next ten years, regardless of which party got in, to keep these promises and meet these budgetary obligations, regardless of Canada's financial situation, this this was an ironclad payment they had to make. I would be you know very optimistic about a lot of people's futures, about a lot of young families Absolutely. starting out, about a lot of seniors. A lot of people would have a lot of solid reasons to be happy. Absolutely, but this is a piece of paper and we both know that since the signing of the treaties, the government doesn't really like to uh, read its own paperwork. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a real problem with that, you know, and, and the, I guess for me personally, because I'm a guy from the land who, who lives on the land, you know, in his speech, uh, Chartrand made a, a good comparison. I thought between the possibility of the future that the Métis people were robbed of in comparison to the, what the Hutterites, uh, are doing in Manitoba, in their land base. Yeah. You know, the Hutterites were allowed to uh, have land, hold it communally. They were allowed to pool their resources. And now they, they have an economic powerhouse. Absolutely. And that's something that the Métis people never had that was taken from them. And nice. I think the problem I have is, is that Chachan leaves you to believe that that horse has kind of left the barn. And it, you know, and so all this money and funding and programs and services you know, puts Métis people back on the path of that kind of economic prosperity. But I can tell you from my point of view, if you put the Métis people back on the land right now and you gave them that opportunity, I think they'd be an economic powerhouse regardless of programs and services.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And it's constantly, for me, it's constantly the one thing that is always on the sideline that Métis people don't still today with all these promises and all these billions of dollars don't have a place or land to call their own
0: absolutely no and and that's exactly it i mean i think in in all of this uh, you know the money is great the programs and services are great but but programs and services to be honest they really in my opinion they don't really build an economic powerhouse unless you're building businesses unless you're building you're buying land and building something like to to just provide a service well that's great and that chews up all that money but in five years when the government cuts back you're now you're no further ahead and we've talked about that over and over again is this yo-yo payments and that's the problem is 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 you get this money and you put it into programs and services five years from now those programs and services get cut 10 years later, you're, oh, now you got money again for those programs and services. So you're not ever building anything. You're not ever building anything with a solid foundation. You're building it on quicksand. And so if they were going to take, you know, this $154 million and start investing into Métis businesses, Métis, uh, you know, the youth, and getting them, you know, going through business school, going through the trades, going through things like that, I think that would create a much better economic base for them. And then like you said the land. Out of that 154 million, are they why don't they just buy some land? Why don't they start buying land and be building that?
1: Um, well and see that that that's ultimately like, like my perspective is here here's a payment that you have and if you were going to deliver I think what the May PT people's vision was right from the beginning was to have a place of their own. Yeah. Instead of setting forty million dollars around to figure out what self-government looked like, why don't you set forty million dollars aside to buy land in Manitoba? Absolutely. How much land can you buy in Manitoba for forty million dollars?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And then, and then we can talk about well, let's build a hundred seniors' homes because it's not just about building those homes. It's going to be after they're built, who maintains them for those seniors. Yep. who's mowing the lawn, who's helping these seniors maintain their properties. That's right. Because you and my, you know, as well as I do, if you own a home, it doesn't just care for itself.
0: Exactly. You know, exactly.
1: Ten years from now, you're going to be looking at the shingles. You're going to be looking at all kinds of maintenance that goes on in that house. And where's the budgetary means to look after that? Absolutely. You know, where's the community for these seniors to be cared for in these greenhouses? And these, you know, you know it's fine words. But I just don't see the long-term strategy to make the Métis people again a land-based, self-governing people.
0: Exactly, and and you know where you know if if you had the land and you built these places, um, you know, and then brought in the youth to go through trades to start doing these things, so that they can maintain these properties, they can build these properties, they can. Um, I mean, to me that's how you build an economic s- structure and it's- well,
1: exactly imagine if you were giving metis families a down payment in in a new metis homeland exactly you know yeah metis houses built by metis people by metis tradespeople, you know and then metis people are given a down payment for a home and a new community you know that that is supported and I think you know built by our own people I mean you're talking about then, long-term stable economic development you want to go back to the comparison between the metis and the hutterites as far as an economic powerhouse and an economic future you know separate of the instability of government funding where is the money set aside for that
0: absolutely well and then you can start to you know because the land it not only brings that that base for um you know your economic power but it it connects a community again. It brings people back together. It starts to build the culture again. It it strengthens so much when you have that land as your anchor and you can start building the businesses, you can start building the homes, you can start doing these things. And at the same time, what are you doing? You're building your culture because now you have seniors and, and youth together. You have people coming together to help the community. And um, I think that would be a lot better... I guess, of an angle to to look at this, than then just, oh, well, we're going to provide prescriptions. And that's great. I Don't get me wrong. And, and I think that would really benefit people. But I think the land having that land base would benefit people a whole hell of a lot more.
1: Well, I, I think it's about spending that money, but spending it in a way that is going to benefit Métis people in a long-term, uh, self-sustaining way. We want to talk about Métis governance and Métis Self-governance, Métis sovereignty, Métis rights—these things all happen not when we are helping Indigenous Métis people, you know, move to urban centers. Yeah, that—that that isn't that we should be creating our own centers. Yes, out, outside of of downtown Winnipeg, outside of downtown Edmonton and Calgary, we should be creating our own centers of economic stability, where the money that's being generated by Métis people is for Métis people. That's what sovereignty means. That's what economic prosperity means for us as a people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other questions that I had about all of this, this especially with this $154 million, because that is a payout for land that was promised. And the thing is, though, is it's going to the Manitoba Métis Federation only. Because it was for Manitoba land. But what about the descendants of people that were, were promised this land that no longer live in Manitoba or not, are no longer part of the MMF? So if I moved if I was in Manitoba that's and I was promised land you know three generations ago and I moved to Alberta for a job, where do, where's my benefit? like I to be honest I the, the people should be seeing a lot of this money because it was their money to be promised. Um, And so that's my next question is how are they going to split that out, right?
1: That's always one of the concerns we've had about the the organizational structure of the cartel is that when you have uh, a boundary as arbitrary as the provincial border on the Métis people, it's fictitious. And so what what happens – You know, if you're a descendant of the Red River, if you were there at Batoche, that's where your ancestry flows from. But you've had to migrate because of the the hardships that the Métis people have had, you know. Yeah. But that's your entitlement. Exactly. And so now because of some arbitrary boundary line that the, you know, the Métis cartel wishes to follow and enforce on the Métis, you're now excluded from this settlement. I think that that's arbitrarily following, you know, unproductive colonial lines.
0: Well, absolutely, and it, it kind of it, it it takes away the foundation of what they've the structure that they've tried to build. They've tried to build this quote unquote national organi- organization called the Métis National Council and affiliates with their provincial organizations. But if the money only goes to one part of the, why isn't it going to the whole homeland? I mean, they've created this fictitious homeland that they've called. And, uh, and conveniently cut out Rupert's land, most of what was Rupert's land at the time. But they've created this this homeland based on mostly on colonial-provincial boundaries, but the money's not going to the people in the homeland? And what about the Métis that live up north or in the east or, or in places where there's no Métis? Even if they do descend from Red River, why are they not seeing benefit from that? So it's a very... Yeah, it's a very closed look at how this money is going to get uh, given out from the federal government if and when it ever does arrive.
1: Yeah, and, and be, but that's what I mean is, is promises sound good, but when you really break down the numbers again, you're, you're talking about a handful of, of the remaining World War II veterans getting 20000 But what is that going to actually, you know, how many can there actually be? What is there, If you said there was 118 World War II vets left, I think you'd be generous.
0: Well, and is that you know, World War Two vets that are only living in Manitoba right now, or is that World War Two vets yeah. in the homeland?
1: No, that's and that's the thing is it's only in Manitoba. Exactly, it's a hundred seniors' homes, but only in Manitoba. Exactly, it's the MMF to give families a down payment on a house, but only in Manitoba. Right, yeah.
0: So again, you're not you're not really building, you're not planning for the future because you're not looking at. All Métis, you're not representing all Métis. You know he loves to come out and say he represents five hundred thousand Métis people, um, but he doesn't. He represents the what eighteen thousand Manitoba Métis Federation members, and he's he's looking out for their best interest in his mind. But let's let's not mince words. I mean, he's not looking out for people in Saskatchewan or Alberta, or he really could doesn't appear to give much doesn't really care about them. I mean, it's it's all for them and none for the rest of them.
1: Well, and that's what we've talked about at great length is how at the end of the day, the Métis National Council, the Métis Manitoba Federation, even the MNA in Alberta are really just a mirror reflection of the provincial government in yes. the form of lobby groups. It's not a Métis government because if it was truly Métis government, we would have structured it according to our own needs, according to our own historic territorial boundaries, according to our own historic communities, not based on a reflection of dealing with the provincial government. You know, there's many ways that we could be engaging our our settler counterparts in the way they form government. We didn't have to adopt a mirror representation to make headway with them. And here we see the ultimate breakdown in that, is that many Métis people who are entitled to this payout money because it is their ancestral right, are going to be excluded from it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that's within their own, quote, nation. I mean, it, it, you know, when when you start looking at the bigger issues of East versus, you know, there's no Métis in the East, attitudes and stuff, like at every ter- step of the way, these organizations are about excluding people. Um, you know, if you speak out and they don't like what you have to say, you get excluded. If you move to a different province, you get excluded. If you, you know, and it so and this is just another example of how people that have have paid for this money have earned this money there throughout their families are not gonna are gonna be left out. They're gonna be excluded because they chose to move to a different province now. So it's well, it's, and I
1: think that's a, we have to be careful because I don't think they chose. I think the no, well, yeah, they the, didn't. These yeah, it wasn't a conscious choice. You know, my. My my indigenous ancestors didn't move out west because they thought, holy crap, this is a great land of prosperity. You know, they moved (laughs) because (laughs) because of the atrocities of colonialism and the racism of of being indigenous. Yeah. And and I think that's the real travesty that I think isn't being addressed in these organizational structures is here. You are finally seeing the tip of the iceberg of, of at least they're promising us something or before they wouldn't even talk to us. And, and now that there may be, possibly, the chance of, of some dollars uh, hitting, you know, Métis bank accounts, we're going to segregate it off, we're going to cut it off, we're going to limit it within specific boundaries, and, and justice, again, really won't be served for those who bled and died for, for our, you know, the Métis cause
0: absolutely absolutely and and and, and uh, you know I've actually seen a lot of people question why this is even going to the Manitoba metis Federation because they weren't around when the promise was made back in 1870 so why are they suddenly now the ones that are going to reap the benefit of having this this money come in and and it's a I think it's an honest question um because you know if if you were to cla- launch a class action lawsuit uh, the money goes to the people that were involved in launching that lawsuit um, and in this case, um, it, isn't that kind of? I mean, wouldn't that be a similar mentality, right? Is if there was well, a thousand but in, people but in that, all, that descended from it, shouldn't those thousand yeah. people see the benefit, money?
1: But in but in all honesty, here's the, the the rebuttal to that is that the Manitoba Métis Federation has, for its existence, claimed to and by large has enough membership to say it does represent those people. True. And there's never been a counterweight to that. Yep. So disgruntled Métis people, people, Métis people disenfranchised, have never stood up and unified themselves behind anything to counter that conversation.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: So from the government standpoint, from a legal standpoint, they're just writing a check to the only group that's there.
0: Well, and it's very easy and to I, write one check instead of, you know, 5,000. So. But I'm not,
1: I'm actually, well, sort of, but I'm not... I'm not not convinced that if there was not a strong oppositional party of equal weight in, in the West uh, that we would have an equal opportunity to have that conversation. Yeah. But the problem is, is that the disenfranchised and by I mean this space facts, even here in Alberta, everyone's content to just ride the coattails till something comes their way. Um, (laughs) We have, you know, we, we, we've seen the election just go by again. We have 30,000 members. We have, you know, how many that actually turn out to vote and the other, you know, 50,000 plus Métis people in the province are silently nowhere. So from the government's point of view, who else would you write a check to?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Very true.
1: Um, So I think, I think we're due, you know, I think all Métis people are due. I think we're due a lot more. I think we're, you know, as we talk about lots, but until Métis people get fed up and decide to do, you know, something different to counter the conversation. Really, you can't blame the government for that one.
0: No, and as far as the government's concerned, they're calling this a win, and they're going to put this in their election promise column, and they're going to be doling this this out come election time like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in honesty, for them, it is a win. Um, Harper certainly didn't do anything like this, and before that, Kretchen didn't do anything like this. And so, yeah, for them, it is an absolute victory. Um, And and I do think that, I mean, it is about time, and I think Métis people are due, like you said. Uh, But I just, I guess for me, I, I have a hard time trusting these organizations to use that money in a way that will benefit Métis people 30 years from now. I think they will use that money to benefit Métis people for the next year. And and I just don't see a, a long-term strategy here. Um,
1: well, as long as it's programs and services like we've talked about, it's never long-term.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
1: and I think that's the real problem. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about, uh, you know, the Canadian healthcare program is a program and services and look how unreliable and uh, how hard it is to continually fund that on a year in and year out basis. I don't see how it's going to be any different with these programs Especially, and and I I can't emphasize that enough, especially when we're dependent on the party of the day approving those funds. How often as we as Indigenous people in the course of Canadian history had whatever meager things we were promised from the government cut to meet the bigger demand of the Canadian populace at large.
0: Absolutely and I mean we're we're facing that here in Alberta if you look at uh, provincial politics here where you got Rachel Notley who's made all these promises to the Man- uh, the Métis Nation of Alberta Association um, but there's a real chance that Jason Kenney could win in the next election. and I guarantee you when he comes in he's gonna be hacking and slashing those budgets. And like you said, I mean if he's gonna if, if somebody like him is willing to come in and and slash the overall health care budget for all Albertans, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to start slashing, well, what are we paying $20 million a year to Métis for? Well, that can easily be 500000 <laughs> So So, mm-hmm. um, and there's no doubt in my mind. And, you know, the blue team's going to come in federally, maybe not this election, but the next one. And they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do their Harper cuts, and they're going to cut all these programs. And, yeah, we've and we we've talked about this so much, It's it's almost... You know, like being on a roller coaster, you just keep going around and around and around. And it's just, I mean, you never get off the funding yo-yo, you know.
1: And that's right. And that's what really bothers me the most about this is this was a lawsuit that was launched launched by the MMF in regards to the Canadian government's lack of honor and fiduciary responsibility in giving the Métis people what, programs and services? No, it was for land. And at the end of the day, when there's a payment being made, it's not a payment for even the ability to purchase land. It's a payment for programs and services. Yeah. So again, we see that the colonial government is willing to attach significant dollars to anything as long as you're not talking about even adequately buying back the crown land.
0: Absolutely. And and then you you know you look at this forty million that's to be set aside to negotiate away from nonprofit, which sounds great. And those are good buzzwords. Um. But the truth is, is if you read the fine print, it says uh, the details have yet to be negotiated with the government of Canada. So they haven't even begun these negotiations. So, and if we look at how long it took to get to this point with this settlement money, it's not like it took six months. It's a few years. You took it, look at like the Powley case, the Harry Daniels case. These things take 10, 20 years to iron out. So... You know, when I'm sixty-five years old, are are we going to be starting to read? Hey, the main Manitoba Métis Federation and the federal government are starting negotiations to become a self-governing nation, because <laughs> <Like, laughs> they haven't started them yet. Is it you know?
1: Right, and that's, and I think this really shows the priority of this current administration and the MMF that self-government having their own board of directors turned into a legally recognized provincial type government structure is more important than buying land back. Yes. It's more important to create this government, this legal fiction than it is to buy real land.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we've, you know, we talked about this before too. Like, what does that mean? If you're your own government, or does that mean, you get to tax people is, is, so now are Métis people going to face four levels of taxation? Like, I don't know, man. It, 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 you know, and again, it's just promises. Well, we're going to do that eventually, one day. We're going to, right now we're promising each other that we are going to sit down and talk about it very seriously. Well, I can make a lot of promises too that like that, that are vague and have no deadlines and no timeframes. And, you know, like I, and and it doesn't mean anything. They're totally useless.
1: Well, and what I find really funny at the end of the day is you look here in Alberta and you look in Manitoba, the current leadership structure is right across the cartel. These people probably only have one or two terms left themselves because they're getting older and, and reaching retirement age themselves. You yeah. know? yeah. Uh, none of these people are spring chickens. They've already been at this for 20 years. And hey, I'll, I'll be quite honest. If I was Chartrand and I was sitting here looking Uh, you know, extolling the virtues of the government and all the money we're getting, I might not want to be around when all this funding evaporates.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I I think one of the ways to illustrate what we're talking about here tonight, as far as the, you know, they can make a lot of promises, is uh, recently in the news there was, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of news about uh, some First Nations, specifically in Saskatchewan, that were really making the headlines, that um, came out and said, you know, Trudeau promised 2.6 billion dollars for Indigenous education back two years ago, I think, in their first budget, and they haven't seen a dime of that yet. And they're they're sitting there, going, oh, you know, we can't we can't pay for our schools unless you pay the like write the checks. And uh, so it's a good example of how you know the government makes these promises and makes all these commitments, but we haven't seen the money flow yet. And, and you know, it's not just me and you making stuff up and being conspiracy nuts with, you know, tinfoil hats. This is true. I mean, the government makes the promises, and they're not following through, and it's being seen by, by everybody else, not just us. Um, and I thought that was a really good example to kind of tie in that this is how they're doing business. They're making promises and not writing the checks. So...
1: Well, and I think that was very interesting. It's one of the things that really struck me is that the Charles ran in his, his speech that he gave uh, to the Assembly was that the fact that the Métis people were actually excluded from that original $2 billion that it was handed out. Yes. And now now this, I think, third budget, it was when all the money and the floodgates opened for the Métis people. And yet, you know, we, we look back those, those budgets ago and what the, the First Nation reaction was, the same thing. They were very happy. They were very, you know, looking at the Trudeau government with these, you know, goo-goo eyes about how great <laughs> they were because of all the money being pumped in. Absolutely. And, but really, look, look look at the First Nations' attitude towards the Trudeau government now. Two years later, you know, cut three budgets later, whatever it is, and how much money have they seen? Not one, you know, not $1 of that $2 billion, like you said, has rolled into any, you know, First Nations bank account.
0: Absolutely, and, and I think that's where... Um you know and even this this framework agreement and things like that like uh you know we we talked to uh, a lady on the show uh, Rachel Snow and she was talking about how this government's doing is isn't doing anything different than what Harper did it's it's the same plan Harper had it's kind of the same plan that Cretchen had where you're going to municipalize um all the res- all the reserves and turn them into fee simple land and you know, that should be good for all the Indigenous, right? And and I think these are the kinds of things that, you know, this government came in with a lot of flash and a lot of things saying, oh, you know, it's it's just, we're going to be so awesome. But the truth is, is they're, they're rolling out the same programs, the same frameworks that Harper had, and they're just doing it with this nicer smile on their face? I don't know.
1: Well, that's, I mean, this is ultimately where we see the dichotomy break down. Is when you you listen to Chartrand talk about the current administration, and I listened to him talk about how when he was traveling and going to churches, and you know and he was praying for a prime minister that would come, that would <laughs> listen to the Métis people. Yes. And and now and now you have it. You know, here's Justin Trudeau is like the second second coming of Christ, and the the money is rolling out, and the budgets are there, and the promises are there. You know, and salvation is right around the corner for the Métis people, and yet, what do we have going on with our First Nations relations in the House of Commons?
0: Exactly, and I'm actually trying to get that video to load um, because I think it's it's this is perfect for what uh, highlights the difference between where they're at and I think where the MMF is at. So, hopefully, this plays. Kids safe will be done
1: uh, no matter what, and his Minister adds that that uh, that this uh, that Canada will not be able to accommodate all Indigenous concerns, what that means is that they have decided to willfully violate their constitutional duties and obligations. Yeah, Mr. Minister, Mr. Speaker, sounds like a most important relationship, doesn't it? Why doesn't the Prime Minister just say the truth and tell the Indigenous Peoples that he doesn't give a fuck about their rights?
0: So that was in the uh that was in the House of Commons in Parliament and uh, oh, hopefully this video can stop now uh th- yeah so that was Romeo Saganish the NDP MP and uh, made it very clear that uh how he feels about the government right now which is in stark contrast to the prayer answering Jesus Trudeau that we have according to David chartrand
1: yeah so is is really what's going on here is Justin Trudeau not know, the second coming of Christ, or is he the return of the Antichrist? Well, and I, I, you know, I've
0: thought a lot about this, and I think the, the big thing here is, I mean, obviously the difference is, you know, the MMF doesn't have any land, and the First Nations have land. And I think the framework probably is quite good for the MMF or, you know, the Métis Nation organizations, because they don't have to give up any land. They have none to begin with. Um
1: yeah, and, and they're not protecting any land.
0: Exactly. and but when you come at it from a First Nation or Inuit perspective, well, they have land, and what the government's asking them to do is give up their rights to it. And so it's it's an interesting dichotomy now and and I and I you know it, it kind of goes back to the difference too, when you look at the this pipeline that's going through. I mean, that's how a lot of First Nations feel about that pipeline. Now, whether the pipeline is good or bad, the point is is that, Chartrand came out and absolutely extolled the virtues of this pipeline, and you know didn't care if First Nations were on board because they are on board, and again made it very clear that he represents the largest single Indigenous group in Canada with five hundred thousand Métis. Um, but yet it's, then the courts decided well, there wasn't enough Indigenous consultation. There was not an you know environmental assessments were were lacking. So he's do do they just not care? about the rest of our family? like, and, and that just drives me crazy. I mean, how can it be really good for one but not good for the other? And it, I'm sure it is because that's probably how the government wants to play it.
1: Well, but I think that's the real challenge is it boils down to the fact that we have created and allowed this situation to be created of this huge divisive network. We have these organizations that claim to represent, you know, hundreds of thousands of Métis people, and yet those Métis people actually aren't entitled to any land. They have no true homeland as far as, you know, responsibility to Mother Earth in any geographical location. And so these, you know, lobby groups, these these organizations feel justified in saying that it's not their responsibility to defend Mother Earth and to defend the land and the waters. And so they're happy to take resource dollars. They're happy to take funding dollars because it's only about programs and services. And it doesn't truly affect them when they go home to their suburban life in downtown Winnipeg.
0: Exactly. And so Exactly. And I, I think that's the thing is Métis are already living in the colonial you know, fee simple, which is you buy the private, you're a private landowner mentality. And so it's a great deal. These frameworks are great because I'm sure they promise a lot of funding for programs and services. Um, yeah, I just don't, it's not a long-term thing. And, and I think if you're winning on the backs of other people and they have to lose, I don't think it's a good deal. I just don't. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, I I don't think it's a good deal on the sole principle that, again, we're allowing government funding, government programs and services to divide Métis against our First Nations brethren, our family, our our natural kinship that that should be between us as, as relations and thus with the land. This money is being used as a divisive tool to sideline, I truly believe, to sideline the Métis in the bigger issues which are the development of, of resources and the extraction of resources made Métis people because of their support for the cartel and these huge programs and service budgets are essentially just being sidelined out of this conversation.
0: Absolutely. You know, and, and I
1: think for, so for $1.7 billion, the, the, and, and the payout on this other lawsuit, the government can totally sideline the Métis people out of here.
0: Absolutely. And you've seen that on the provincial level with that hydro deal that they signed where it was, you know, a million dollars for the next 50 years, uh, but you have you can have absolutely no opposition to any project that we build. And they were happy. They were totally happy to sign that deal. And that just shows you how disconnected from the land they have become because they, they don't care. They just want money. And they, they're okay with getting it on the backs of the, the First Nation, whose territory that is, because the First Nation have land. But and so, it's it's a very um, unhealthy dichotomy. It's it's a it's like an abusive relationship, really. I mean, and it's the government likes to pit us against each other, likes to do everything they can to divide, and uses money in order to do it. And it's money that isn't even consistent.
1: <laughs> that's the worst part. Well, that's right. And I really, I really like uh, Belcourt's statement is that. You know, Métis people and First Nations people are fighting each other over, you know, what they perceive as one loaf of bread coming from Ottawa. Yeah. And Ottawa is not a loaf of bread. Ottawa is a bakery. Exactly. And I think that's where we need to get back on the same page is there's one land, there is only one resources, and there's only really one Indigenous family. Yeah. Regardless of which nation you come from, we're all related. And so we need to start to act like it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and I I think that's uh those are perfect words to kind of end the night on. I think I've I've ranted myself silly, and uh, I don't know. Do you have any last final thoughts or
1: final anything? Final final thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I mean it's the same thing we always talked about. Uh, you know, it's very frustrating for us to sit here and you go over the numbers and you listen to the speeches. Um. You know, I think it's even more frustrating though when we're off air and we're talking the lack of engagement you know we talk about a hundred and some thousand metis people in the province but really these things are allowed to continue and metis people are allowed to be marginalized and sidelined in these conversations because of metis own willingness to be sidelined yeah you know where where is the majority where is the voice where are those people who said enough's enough and stood and and were willing to take arms against the government for what they thought was right
0: Absolutely, because you know, especially coming out of these uh, last elections here in Alberta. I mean, the reality is, is um, the current president now, Audrey, represents the amount of people that voted, which was about three thousand or thirty-eight hundred people. Out of out of one hundred and fourteen thousand Métis in Alberta, thirty-eight hundred people are being represented right now, and that's really about it.
1: So, and the, and the staggeringly sad part to me is, it really seems like the rest just don't care.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I think the, the, the real end result of colonization has, uh, has shown to be very effective, um, because, you know, it's just easier to go to work, pay your bills and live your life sometimes than to, to have to fight for stuff like this. And I think that's where a lot of Métis people are sitting at. It's like, well, what, what is the importance of this when I can just go to work and I, I get health benefits at work. Um, I pay my bills and I own my own house and, You know, uh, what does the Métis Nation do for me? And at this point, I can honestly say I don't even know. I don't know what it does for a lot of people.
1: No, and I I think that's right. And I think that's what what most of our conversations boil down to is our Métis ancestors stood up and fought for a future that they wanted to see. Yes. Um, For something they didn't have, but something they believed that their children and their grandchildren should have. And until I think Métis people return to that kind of perspective to say, this isn't about what I can get out of it, but what I can leave for my grandchildren uh, as a Métis legacy, not until that moment resonates with the majority of the the thousands and tens of thousands of Métis people who are sitting silent that we're ever going to see uh, or change this conversation.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight. I'm, uh, I think we've we've made our peace now, and I'm sure we'll be back next week to relay more Métis information to you and give you our take on it because it happens every single week. Uh,
1: the show writes itself.
0: Absolutely, and I'm, I'm purposely right now trying to avoid talking about the recent elections in Alberta because I want to get back to broadening out and talking about Métis across Canada. So I am specifically trying to look for stories outside of Alberta right now. As much as I want to talk about these elections, and I used air quotes there, people. Um, so I am just wanted to let everybody know that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm, I'm weaning Hey, myself. But if you,
1: don't, if you live outside of Alberta and you have a story or you have things that are going on in your community and you're listening to our show and you want us to talk about it or cover it, shoot us a link, hit us up, drop us a message.
0: Absolutely, we we have an email, Podcast at gmail Send us an email, send us a, you know a comment on Facebook, whatever. Um, and if you really love this show and you're an awesome person and you want to help us out, you can go over to our Patreon page, and you can pledge uh, whatever amount you want. But uh, and to help us grow the show, help us get you know, I'd love to be able to get out and get more stories from other provinces, but uh, we can't do that without your help. So. You
1: head over there and help us out. We'd love to do more. If only we had more.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know. I think for both Jason and I, I can honestly say, uh, I'm, I want to thank you guys for listening, um, but we'll be back next week with more ranting and raving. And until then, I hope you guys have a great week and the jig is up.
1: You are the spark that's starting a fire
0: that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now is to be light in the world.